That was uh, many, many hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah who was to come and save his chosen people. So I'm going to look at some verses in chapter 9 and also in chapter 53. So in chapter 9, verse 6, familiar words but things we need to hear uh, during this Christmas season. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his, of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and hold it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then in chapter 53, I'm going to read a bit of that. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like the root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Reminder this morning of what Christmas is and why we celebrate uh, this baby in the manger has come, and that is great, but this baby in the manger has come to be the Christ on the cross. To seek and to save that which was lost, and in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So just a reminder this morning that the baby in the manger came to be the Christ on the cross. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. We sing that. We may sing it this morning, but in the end of Silent Night, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Well, let's continue our worship together this morning and pray together and get some people back up here to do some more singing. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, our Father, our, our Creator, our Sustainer, the Sovereign One, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do for us. Lord, even though we were, we were your enemies, you still came to save, to save your chosen. And we thank you for that. And we do ask your, your blessing on, on the remainder of the service. Lord, we, we know your presence is here, and we thank you for that as well. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll try not to be too loud. Can you all hear that? Well, second week in a row, you get the second string. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, 
Dan's under the weather, so instead of finding out Friday evening, I found out Wednesday afternoon that I should prepare a sermon. So, again, it is, it is an, an incredibly heavy thing to stand here in front of you and proclaim the word. So, as we're going through this, would you pray for me? <laughs> because it's God's business anyway, so I would trust that somehow or another he would use me this morning. So would you pray with me right now? Father, uh, thank you for your word. I love the picture that Dan has painted of opening up the picture, opening up the window to make it bigger and bigger, our understanding and our ability to really understand who you are. And I pray, Father, that somehow or another you would use me this morning so that that picture might be just a little bit bigger. God, this is your doing. So, Father, would you have your way in a powerful way this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So, has anybody in this room ever been in the right place at the right time. <laughs> what? No, I mean, has anybody in this room been in the right place at the right time so that your position made a difference in somebody's life? And I'm not talking the spiritual thing. We've all been, I hope, we've all been in that place somehow or another sometime before. I racked my brain. I cannot think of a time in my life where I was that rescuer, that I made a difference in somebody's life right at that moment. If you, if you have been... <clears throat> Raise your hand, because we want to hear it. Kathy. Well, I have an intimate vision. Come here, come here. <laughs> and I believe that God has us at the right place all the time, <laughs> even when we don't think we are. But um, my older brother has found himself housebound, and no wheelchair, and I've been helping him with care. And I was supposed to go to his house, and this has been probably four months, three months ago. I was supposed to go to his house on a particular day. We'll say Tuesday. I came down with the worst stomach ache. Tell me, that wasn't divine. I called him. I said, Ken, I'm not feeling good. I don't want to expose you to something. I'll be over tomorrow. No problem, sis. I go there the next day, and he is in his wheelchair, and he's trying to go forward in his wheelchair, and he can't. And he's delusional. I said, Ken, Ken, your wheelchair, I think your battery's dead. I saw lights flashing, and I said, I, I really think your battery's dead, and you're not going to go anywhere. Besides, you're up against the couch. And he starts talking gibberish to me. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I felt his forehead, and he was 
burning up. By the time medics got there, his temperature was 101.7. He had a urinary infection, he'd gone septic. If God had had me there on Wednesday, he would have died. The right place at the right time. Yeah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen. The one story that I read about that made me start thinking about this was there was a car accident where somebody driving a car rear-ended somebody else. And the person that did the rear-ending happened to be a doctor that happened to have a plastic tube in his pocket. He was not so much injured in the, in the accident that he got out of the car, went to the car that he had hit, found a woman that was dying because she was choking to death. And he took that plastic tube. He knew exactly what to do with that plastic tube, put it down her throat, and she survived at the right place at the right time. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make us just go crazy with the providence, providential grace of God for a situation like that? Which he was able to stop if he had wanted to. But he didn't stop it. He allowed it to happen. Because in his plan, he needed the dangerous situation in order for his grace to be noticed and to seen to be seen, that God would be glorified in it. Can you get your mind around a God that is powerful enough to control every, absolutely every situation in the universe? Even situations that are dangerous. Can you get your mind around a God that has that kind of control? There are lots of people that don't want anything to do with that God. Because then they become accountable to that God. So that means this God has control over the situation with a young child in a refugee camp in Ethiopia that's starving to death because of a civil war there. Our God has control over that situation. Or what about the believer in North Korea who is trying to stay underneath the radar so he doesn't get caught by the government? What about the father in Central America that's doing his best to get his family out of all of the violence in Central America. God's in control of that. And yet it looks like chaos all around us. It's interesting to me that in all of this, God has a plan. And it has always been plan A. There has never been any kind of plan B. So, if you would turn in your Bibles 
to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, we're going to get a quick little synopsis of God's plan, His eternal plan. And it's interesting that it has been alluded to a couple of times already this morning. As you recall from Dan's exposition of Galatians, almost three years ago to this very date, he hit this portion of Scripture. So, do you remember what Galatians was all about? Remember, I'd love to ask you, what did Dan preach on last week? Do you remember what he preached on three years ago? (laughs) Paul is writing in this book to a group of believers who had a group of other people come in after he left termed Judaizers, people that came in and suggested that Christ was good, but he wasn't enough, that there had to be some sort of addition to that faith in Christ in order to preserve and actually affect salvation. The big thing that's pointed out in Galatians is circumcision. Circumcision had to occur in order plus Christ, in order to be sure that salvation was happening. Or maybe it was you had to observe the Sabbath, or maybe you had to make sure that you uh, observed all of the Jewish holidays. But Christ alone was not enough. So Paul writes this letter to confront the Judaizers. And going back into chapter 3, let me read, starting at verse 23, just follow along, because it's going to impact what we go into in chapter 4. And again, I'm reading out of the NLT, so most of you will be able to understand it. (laughs) Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So now we get to chapter 4. Reading at verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, 
Those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Let that last verse sink in a little bit. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. How many of you, before you came to a saving faith in Christ, followed the way of Christ? How many of you followed the way of Christ before you actually surrendered to his call? None of us did. None of us followed the spiritual principles of nothing but the world. We were in the world. We were swallowed up by the world. We were slaves to those spiritual principles. Let, the word, let that word slave sort of sink in a little bit. You had no choice but to follow the spiritual principles of the world. Because you were a slave to it. You couldn't resist it. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. And verse 4. And I've got it down here in my notes in three different translations. The NIV says, but when the, but when the time had fully come. The ESV says, but when the fullness of time had come. And in the NLT it says, but when the right time came. Going back to the right place at the right time. What was it in God's plan that he said, now is the right time? Why in the world is this particular verse in here? Now is the right time. What caused God to say, now is the right time? As Dan says, the ink doesn't tell us. There's nothing in here that says, this is why God said it was the right time. But we do have historical background of what was going on in the world at that time. The Pax Romana. Raise your hand if you know what the Pax Romana is. Okay, there's a couple hands. It stands for the Peace of Rome. Rome was all-powerful. And how do you suppose they kept the peace? They had a very powerful army. And if there was an uprising anywhere, that army was on it. 
so that things just sort of ran fairly smoothly, it would seem. They also had some of the greatest roads the world had ever seen, mostly because it would be easier and more efficient for that army to be moved. But it also allowed for trade and commerce and people to travel where they had never had that kind of opportunity before. Another thing that was so pervasive at this time was the Greek language. It was spoken all over the world. And what was the New Testament translated into, written in? Greek. So on top of this, the world was in such a ditch morally that even the pagans were saying, this ain't right. So that there was this spiritual hunger that must have been pervasive all over. People wanting to know, is this really all there is to life? Can you see where this would be a fertile ground for Christ to step into and the gospel proclaimed? Can you see that this would explain why this is the right time? So, the synopsis. This is the inspired reasons that Paul writes for us for this being the right time. Verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent His Son. God sent His Son. Paul writes that this Jesus is divine because he is the Son of God himself. Born of a woman. Well, the only people born of a woman are people. They're humans. So this Son of God came in human form. Subject to the law. Who were subject to the law? The Jews were. So he came into the family of Jews. The plan. Son of God, fully human, born into the Jewish family. Verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us. The NIV and the ESV both use redeem. I love the word redeem more than buying freedom. God sent him to redeem us who were slaves to the law. I love the, the picture of redemption. Buying something back. Redeeming something that had already been taken away. My life, I feel, has been redeemed from the spiritual principles of this world. Because Christ came as the Son of God, fully human, in the Jewish family. 
I have been redeemed. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. This morning there aren't a lot of children in here. But just think about the family that is willing to take some child that doesn't have a family and make them part of their family. Right? That's what's happened to every believer in Jesus Christ. We have been taken out of this ragtag bunch of pagans and brought into a real family. Many of you sit in this room week after week and say, what a wonderful family this is. It really is. And we're all brought into the family of God. Think about that for a minute. Just, if it helps, close your eyes and think about being a child of the living God if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Think about what that means. Those people that adopt children and bring them into their families never push those kids away. Our Heavenly Father is never going to push us away. Does that feel good? No, does that feel good? And because, verse 6, and because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. I know everybody in this room has not had a perfect father. There are maybe not many of us in this room that have had a perfect father. <clears throat> but this word, Abba, in the Arabic, means daddy, 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 daddy. I can remember calling my dad, daddy. And it was this very special term for this man who was not a perfect father. But it was his and my connection to be able to call him daddy. Well, Paul just writes here that God has sent his own spirit inside of us enable that we, to enable us to call God Daddy. I'm not, I'm not a stoic person. I'll cry at a commercial if it's the right commercial. But can you imagine being able to call the king of the universe 
the one who spoke everything into existence, to be able to call him Daddy? Because he loves us that much that he has put into our spirit, his own spirit, to enable us to have that kind of a relationship. Verse 7, now you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. If you read Romans 6, it tells you that you are a slave. Again, but not to the spiritual principles of this world any longer. You are a slave to righteousness. So you are a slave, but it is in a much more wonderful context. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There are stories all over the world of people who have been heirs of magnificent fortunes that have turned to trash because they didn't really understand what they inherited. I think that's a danger for us as well, that we really don't understand what it is that we have inherited. What have we inherited? Eternal life. In the presence of the king forever and ever and ever and ever. Those of us that have aches and pains, they're gone. Death no longer rules. And we live in eternal bliss. Don't be those who inherit the world and trash it, like so many have. Have you guys ever done an experiment or seen the experiment done in school where you have this stream that's in a, I don't know, kind of a platform tilted like this, and there's water that's coursing down this, this whatever they've got it in. And they do the experiment by putting something in the middle of this stream of water that either stops the water or diverts the water. The idea is to tell us, explain to us, show us that the power of this Solid stuff that we put in there to divert the water is very powerful. How many have seen all the dams on the Columbia River? Okay. When I was a kid, I mean a little kid, we lived on seven acres, had a small orchard on it, had a creek running through it, and all of a sudden, this creek turned into a pond. Can you imagine why the creek turned into a pond? What? Beavers. Beavers! Drove my dad nuts because guess what those beavers were doing? Cutting down the fruit trees. 
So we called the game people, and they came out and put a trap, and I can still remember as a kid, little guy, probably first, maybe first or second grade at the most, going out with my dad and this ranger out in the middle of the night to check the trap, and sure enough, there was the beaver. And that ranger took that beaver off. I have no idea where, but he took him a long way off, and we never had a problem after that. So the idea that water, of something being inserted and causing the water to stop or be diverted, just is a big, big picture for me. So can you think in your mind of people who have been placed in history that have caused the course of history to be diverted? Now, I'm going to give you a list of the ones that I came up with, a, a short list of some of the ones I came up with. Think in your mind, people that have been inserted into history that changed the course of history. Nebuchadnezzar is one. Inserted into history and changed history. Alexander the Great, right after Nebuchadnezzar. Many of the Roman Caesars. Here's one. Gutenberg. Think he changed the course of history? The printing press. What about Martin Luther? Think he changed the course of history? George Washington. Did he change the course of history? Pasteur. How many of you like milk? Alexander Graham Bell. Did he put a diversion in history? <laughs> Jonas Salk. Polio. And the list goes on. Many of these figures left big memories, but the changes they affected weren't lasting. Nebuchadnezzar was conquered. Alexander the Great was conquered. The Caesars were conquered. But there is one spelled with a capital O, that was inserted in history, and his effect is still going on at just the right time. Christ was inserted into the fabric of human history, and it's been changed. History has been changed forever. We are celebrating the first advent of Christ in this season. And as you begin to go through this season, as you have your parties, you have your gift exchanges, as you sing the carols, all of the things that are part of this season, I want you to think about Christ being inserted into human history at 
just the right time. Think about that. The next time you sit down to a turkey dinner, the next time you sit down to open a present, the next time you sit down to wrap a present, put a decoration on the tree. Think about Christ being inserted into human history at just the right time for a forever, forever impact. Father, we, uh, we admit that we are clay vessels. We don't always... We don't always think of things as we should. We don't always have your best interests at heart. But God, in your mercy, you have have come into human history. And you have changed forever what it means to be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with Almighty God. So, Father, I pray that as we go through this particular season of the year, that you would stir our hearts to remember that it is you who has redeemed us. It is you who, has made it, who have made it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God. And God, that we would truly celebrate the birth of Jesus as it should be celebrated to bring honor and glory to God. In Jesus' name.